Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this series, we're examining every single goddamn page of Alien Hunger, a quick start adventure for Vampire the Masquerade, to determine what is the dumbest thing on that page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. If you'd like to play along at home, this is 1991's Alien Hunger, the official PDF release from White Wolf. Today we're discussing page 37 of Alien Hunger, and today is the final day of our mini-series, Seven Must-Miss Locations in Denver, Colorado. And even though it's the last day, we gotta cover the whole back half of the list. But believe me, this book saved the best for last. There is nothing fucking going on in these places. No Action Comics number one, no Maggie Mae, no vampires staying late after the bar closes to sweep up the fucking floors or whatever they're doing in there. It's just prosaic description of places that aren't part of the story. We're going to start with Edward's house. Remember, Angel Tony told you not to go to Edward's house and conveniently told you what the address was? Well, it's there, and if you want to go to it, then you can. You shouldn't, in character or out, but you could. So here it is in the book. It's a little off Highway 93. It says you can go two miles down a private road to get to it. It's three stories. It looks kind of like a fortress. Already, Sir Bloodworth's snaky-ass mouth is watering. This looks a little like a dungeon. There could be loot in here. There could be traps. I'm not going to say there are going to be orcs inside, But, you know, Gargoyle is a kind of vampire. I mean, let's not get our hopes up, but, you know, let's just take out our weapons, establish a marching order, enter the stony corridors, and uh, see where the night takes us. Where it takes us is to a courtyard, positioned so that it receives the the rays of sun from the dawn. When the sun first comes up, the the sunlight comes right into the courtyard. And then between where the sunshine will be coming in and this uh, back wall area, there's all these, like, sliding paper Japanese doors. And you, you can open some, close some, to get whatever degree of sunlight up against that back wall you want, because this is a torture room. Quote, the back wall itself is made of heavy steel with strong chains sunk firmly into it. There are three sets of manacles, spaced so as to allow three prisoners to be spread-eagled before the sun. Although Edward does not torture for pleasure, he is fully cognizant that when time is short, the threat of slow extermination in the sun will sometimes convince a vampire to speak. If the players sneak into Edward's house and view the gallery, They will find Tony's jacket by one of the sets of manacles and a few bone fragments inside. So this is what happened to Tony. Uh, Edward kidnapped him and then burned him in the sun. I don't specifically know why. I mean, Tony's been here for a while. So is Edward. And I don't know that Tony really did anything other than talk to you, which Edward also does as soon as you go talk to him. But you know what? For some reason, Edward killed him. And if you come here, you'll find out that this is what happened to Tony. Uh, you're not going to understand anything about motive and you still won't know who Tony was or what his deal was. But like, I guess if you liked his jacket, you know, now it's yours. Good for you. I really like the detail here, though. Although Edward does not torture for pleasure, you know, he realizes this is this is more dad energy. This is like privileged dad who wants to be cool energy. Like, yeah, this is the torture room. But look, just because I have a torture room doesn't mean I'm a torture guy. Edward is cool. He's just trying to be a cool dad to all the vampires in Denver. Anyway, speaking of Edward, his bedroom is in the basement. It's just got bedroom stuff. There's a music room on the ground floor. It's got a lot of instruments there. He's got a bunch of different musical pieces lying around, some very old, some very new, some written by him, which it says are good, but like nothing new. There's a bookshelf where he keeps his rare shit. That's where you've got some original works by, it says, great composers of the past. There are four pieces in there by like very famous composers that are not known to history that Edward got his hands on. And so they're a little like snatches of music or whatever by great famous composers that no one knows about but Edward. So he's very proud of them. 
And so he, you know, he put them where music belongs, in a glass case down a private road in one asshole's private collection. Then upstairs, you got a library. In the library are books, not a lot of new ones, mostly old ones. And then the rest of the house is just mundane shit because there are ghouls who live here and like they need to go to the bathroom sometimes. That's it. That's Edward's house. I mean, most of the time he's at the Broad Street. So, you know, there's nothing really here. You can't you can't come here and like rescue Tony or anything. You know, you can find out that he died, but that doesn't really solve anything, nor, nor does it matter. There's no particular, you know, loot to take. Like, I don't suppose you could authenticate these compositions uh, uh, by famous composers. And you just faked your own death. So it seemed like kind of a waste to suddenly be like, you know, just kidding. I'm back, everybody. And look, Mozart wrote some shit you've never heard of. I found it in a vampire's house. So yeah, I don't really see as there's any reason to go to Edward's house. But if you do, Japanese sliding doors. Enjoy. Next up on our list of seven must-miss locations in Denver, Colorado, is the 24th Diocese. It's a goth dance club. It's Vampire Tony's domain. It says other vampires don't really go there. Seems like a shame to have, like, one of the main goth clubs, if not the main goth club, be one vampire's particular thing. It's a disservice to the clientele, if nothing else. Tony's a regular. He knows all the staff. He trusts the bartender enough to leave messages to pass back and forth to other vampires and stuff. The diocese is Tony's domain, so he hunts there. But it says he doesn't kill at the club. He just takes like little sips from lots of different people there. This club has blood dolls, which is to say kinky goth people who are into having their blood drunk in a sexy way, like a little bit of vampire play. That's very convenient for vampire feeding, of course. So yeah, this is pretty easy for Tony. And it says when you come to see Tony, the one time that he keeps a fucking appointment, quote, he will graciously provide them with dates, all of whom expect Tony and his friends to be kinky and nip their necks. And it goes on to say Candy is one of these blood dolls. She's the person you can talk to who will say, yep, he disappeared one night. And that's the whole story. Thanks, Candy. Unlike the Broad Street, the 24th Diocese is a little bit away from downtown in the middle of a strip of clubs. So the atmosphere, I think, is a little better. I think the 24th Diocese is cooler than the Broad Street. It's a little bit of a cliche. It is a generic goth club in an old church where the personalityless figure of Vampire Tony feeds on willing mortals who just like to do vampire shit. The interesting thing about going to the 24th Diocese is nothing. There's nothing interesting about going there because you're called there for one scene for Tony to say, come back later, and nothing else ever happens there. Nothing else can happen there. It's Angel Tony's domain. So I'm glad we got some details on that. Next, we reach the penultimate entry on our list of seven must-miss locations in Denver, Colorado. The book says Liverman's house. We know it as the den of science jaguar. Quote, Roger Liverman, the biochemist, is a freelancer and does a great deal of his work at his house. He lives alone in a smallish house located in Aurora. Should the players try to break into his house, they should have little trouble doing so, but what they find depends dramatically on when they do so. Now it goes on to say, if you break in during the day, you're foolish. Seems like maybe you're not taking the game seriously. You're vampires. Why would you go out in the sunlight like that? I mean, you could sunproof your car, like Spike on Buffy, drive it blind, I guess, to this guy's house in Aurora, Colorado, and like throw a heavy blanket over yourself and run into his house so you can what? Barely stay awake while this guy fires a shotgun at you in broad daylight? What, what are you doing? With that pointless option out of the way, consider going during the night time, which doesn't destroy you, and uh, hitting up the den of Science Jaguar then. If you do that, you try to break in, you're going to find that Science Jaguar got himself a shotgun because his house has been broken into recently. Blah, blah, blah. We went through this in the plot section. It says there's nothing else really interesting here other than the notes that Science Jaguar will give you if you help him out. Uh, it says there aren't really any significant alarms. The locks are not really anything to worry about. And then it says, quote, the house itself is a typical bachelor mess. 
pizza boxes on the coffee table, dirty clothes in piles in the bedroom, and so on. Except for the office, which is incredibly tidy and well-organized. This is the dumbest thing in this page just because it's disillusioning me about Science Jaguar. Like, I don't, not that I hold it against him, you know? Some people keep a tidier house than others. It's fine. It's not, you know, it's nothing against him as a person. He keeps the office tidy. That's where he needs to work. It's just, I don't know. I guess aspirationally, I wanted to believe in the freewheeling, sexy, hired gun biochemist lifestyle. And this is seeming more and more like a guy who just can't make a connection. But, but let me say, this might not be because he is this kind of like sloppy, inattentive, like feral bachelor who's just like eating pizza and throwing it wherever. It might be that Science Jaguar is depressed. Could be lots of things contributing to that. You know, he was close to Jacob Prester, who just died. His house was just robbed. Uh, he just lost his apparently main freelance biochemistry gig, which he he had from Prester. He's encountered this scientific mystery that he can't really get his head around, but he knows it's something big. And all of this is keeping him from going out on the town, charming the ladies and taking some home in the science mobile. So maybe he's just depressed and maybe he needs something to happen in his life that is gonna give it a new meaning, give it a new framework, give him some direction, get him out of this slump. I'm rooting for Science Jaguar. Finally, we reached the last entry on our list of seven must-miss locations in Denver, Colorado, Klondike's Haven, a.k.a. The Dirty Little House of the Dirty Little Blonde. It's a little ranch-style house. Each door has at least three locks. The windows are barred. There are weapons stashed everywhere in the house. The yard is overgrown. There's almost no furniture in the house. Klondike, quote, spends most of his time in the living room on an armchair, either studying the serums he stole or watching cable. This is the lair of the big bat, our final encounter in this adventure. Klondike, the dirty little blonde who sits in a chair all day and watches TV in his dilapidated ranch-style house. Quote, in the bedroom is an unlocked trunk holding $5,000, a number of stakes, and a shotgun. It is to this room Klondike will run if combat breaks out. The bedroom also contains a double bed and a closet, where Klondike stores forest, urban, and desert camos, his flak jacket and suit, and other clothing. Honestly, Klondike's Haven is probably the location that has the most right to be here. Something interesting does happen there. Not only is there a fight with Klondike, but there could be other kinds of encounters with Klondike too if you play that scene differently. You could try to negotiate, you could try to trick him. You can kind of pick his brain for information. He doesn't know a lot of backstory stuff you might otherwise not learn. The problem is you only go to Klondike's house really once in the story. You, you don't know it exists until like the last scene of the adventure. You go there and you have to have whatever your encounter is going to be with him. And then the adventure's over. And all the information that we have on this page is pretty much on the page that describes the encounter. So I don't know, like there's something interesting here. That thing is a scene and we already read that scene and you can't go back. I guess if you wanted to continue the campaign in Denver after you've played through Alien Hunger, everybody's so invested in goth punk Denver, they'll riot if you try to do Vampire anywhere else. Then I guess we may have further use for the one-time home of deceased filth bomb Robert Klondike. That does it for must-miss locations in Denver, Colorado. Join me next time as we get another full-page illustration of one of those baggy-trousered vampire poppers from the beginning of the book, uh, solo this time, just him, and I just try to figure out what this guy's deal is and who he might be and uh, why am I looking at him? So join me next time for that on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been Mega Dumbcast. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, 
go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Social media was never healthy and is now dying, so if you want to contact me, you can email me. I am megadumbcast at gmail.com. This season's theme song is Suck City by Black Math, whose work you can find at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash black underscore math. Dumbheads, I will catch you next time.